Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. In this episode, a recording from the 2014 Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference, which was held at NUI Maynooth. The conference, now in its fourth year, was generously supported by the UCD School of History and Archives, UCD Research, Marsh's Library, Graduate Studies at NUI Maynooth, and the Department of History at NUI Maynooth. This podcast features a paper by Dr Anya Henze entitled Compelled to Subsist on Herbs and Water, The Prisoner Priests of Boffin and Inish Moor, 1657-1662. to With the final defeat of the Catholic Confederacy by the Cromwellian forces in 1653, the position of Catholic priests changed dramatically in Ireland. In the decades before the 1641 uh, uprising, and I think uh, Pike has referred to this as well, as Charles I became increasingly dependent on the financial and political support of the Old English and Old Irish rural gentry and town burgesses, the practice of Catholicism was more or less tolerated, and the presence of priests and bishops in a restored parochial and diocesan system had become the norm throughout most of the country. However, on the 19th of January 1654, an ordinance was made reaffirming the statutes that had been on the books, though rarely implemented, since the reigns of Elizabeth and James, which deemed all Catholic clergy to be guilty of high treason. Many hundreds escaped to continental Europe and the sanctuary of France, Spain and other Catholic states. And PJ Corish estimated that around 1,000 priests went into voluntary exile at this point. A reward of £5 was offered for the capture of any priests that remained in the country, and many soldiers and other citizens were awarded this sum. The Commonwealth records carry the name of 96 clerics who were caught and imprisoned between 1653 and 1659. The records also indicate that many of these captives, as long as they were not accused of murder, debt or such-like offences, were given an option to leave for continental Europe at their own expense if they gave an undertaking never to return to Ireland. On the 18th of June 1655, the prisoner priests of Galway, 30 in number, were ordered and permitted to ship themselves from Galway or other parts thereabouts for some foreign place beyond the seas, being in amity with the Commonwealth of England, and that such transportation be upon their own charge and before the 10th of July next. Similarly, and in the same week in June 1655, the priests being held in Limerick were granted leave to be shipped to a place beyond the seas that is in amity with the Commonwealth and at their own charge. On the 11th of September 1656, seven priests in jail in Cork were granted permission by Justice Cook to be transported beyond the seas on condition that they gave security that they would travel to France at the first opportunity and never return into any part of the dominions of His Highness and the Commonwealth. The financial means of the imprisoned clergy, to me, appears to have been a factor in their fate, as the option of removing themselves to the more welcoming shores of continental Europe was regularly offered to those who could afford their passage. And this may explain why the names of very few of the well-connected secular clergy who had been so powerful in the decades before and in the early years of the 1641 rebellion, how so few of their names appear in the lists of those who were exiled to Barbados and subsequently to Boffin and Arran. The Archbishop of Tuam and the Bishop of Killala, John de Burgo and Francis Kerwin, were granted even more lenient treatment in December 1654, being allowed to remain at liberty to go amongst their friends in the country, provided that they first put in sufficient security to the said governor, respectively, that they and either of them do, within two months from the date hereof, transport themselves for France. But what was to be done with the priests who would not or could not pay their passage out of Ireland? A small number of exceptions were made for those who were so old or ill following their capture that they were not considered to be a danger to the Commonwealth. 
In April 1653, Christopher Seagrave, described as an impotent, weak person, was to be allowed to live in Louth in a place judged fit by the governor of Trida. In April 1654, as he was 80 years of age, Hugh Longan was to be allowed to reside around Mullingar under the usual conditions, which included him undertaking not to exercise his priestly functions. Roger Begg was released from prison on account of his miserable condition in January 1655, while William Shield was granted his freedom on account of his being old, lame and weak and not able to travel without crutches and the usual strictures concerning their undertaking not to exercise their priestly functions were applied to the conditions of their release. In early 1655, orders were issued that all captured priests were to be brought to Carrickfergus in Antrim to await transportation to Barbados, where they would join the tens of thousands of other Irish men, women and children who were exiled to the Caribbean island as indentured labourers or slaves between 1652 and 1659. On the 26th of January, Colonel Hewson, the Governor of Dublin, gave order to the Marshal of Dublin to deliver on board the ship bound for Barbados such Romish priests in his custody as are not found guilty of murder. The order was reiterated on the 30th of May 1656 with instructions that priests were to be conveyed from garrison to garrison until they reach Carrickfergus where they are to be received by Colonel Thomas Cooper and Cooper is to take care that all such priests and persons aforesaid be put aboard such ships or other vessel as shall set sail from thence to the Barbados Isles. And according to Cooper, the horror of this prospective voyage and what awaited them in Barbados prompted some priests to renounce the Pope's supremacy and embrace Protestantism while at Carrickfergus. We have no dependable indication of how many priests were actually sent to the Caribbean at this time, though John Stafford and Thomas Fitznicholas were named as two of three clerics on board a ship that sailed in November 1655, arriving in Barbados the following month. Those who refused or who could not afford to transport themselves from Galway and Limerick to the European mainland in June 1655 were ordered to be sent to Barbados as were Morris Clear, arrested in Waterford in January 1656, and Roland Common, arrested in June 1657. Other priests taken to Carrickfergus who may have been transported included Dennis O'Corkin, Philip O'Shea and Owen O'Connolly, all arrested in different parts of Ulster during May and June 1656. While a number of priests definitely indeed were transported to the Caribbean colony, a number of factors contributed to the abandonment of the project and a change of government policy regarding prisoner priests by July 1657. As Corish remarked, many of the captured priests were elderly or sick and would have been thoroughly unsuited to labour as indentured servants. And Sean O'Callaghan also points out that the governor of Barbados, Daniel Searle, was a virulently anti-Catholic Puritan, regarding priests as fomenters of rebellion and liable to do much mischief in his colony. There probably is a strong element of truth, then, in O'Callaghan's assertion that the project was abandoned, partly due to Searle's objections. While money was still being paid for the relief of Popish priests being held at Carrickfergus in February 1659, they were clearly no longer bound for the Caribbean, and indeed the entire Barbados slavery project was continued in this year. The next solution proposed for the safe incarceration of Irish Catholic priests by the Commonwealth Government was a lot closer to home. In July 1657, the Council Chamber in Dublin paid £100 to the Governor of Galway, Thomas Sadler, to be issued as he should conceive fit for maintenance of such popish priests as are or should be confined to the Isle of Buffon, according to sixpence daily allowance, building cabins and the likes. By March 1658, Sadler and the governor of Inish Buffon, Lieutenant Colonel Hunt, 
we're being advised by the Council that judges in their courts may find cause to send much more priests to that island, suggesting that Boffin was already home to a number of imprisoned clerics as early as late 1657. Moor, the largest of the Aran Islands, had been added to Boffin as a place of imprisonment by the 13th of December 1658, when the Council wrote again to Sadler, ordering him to pay over what public money rested in his hands to the hands of the respective governors of the Isles of Boffin and Aran, or either of them, in order to the building of cabins and making the prisons for the said popish priests that are either there or from time to time shall be sent thither to be secured. The choice of Boffin and Arran as locations for these prisons was made for a number of obvious reasons. Boffin had been the last place to hold out against Cromwell's forces, only surrendering on the 14th of February 1653. The island was subsequently strongly fortified, with a new fort ordered to be built in 1656, and it was probably completed the following year. Uh, ironically, in light of the fact that most of the prisoner priests were members of the Franciscan order, Inishmore had been home to a Franciscan convent before the Cromwellian conquest. And both islands were sufficiently isolated and fortified to deter attempts at escape or rescue, while still being relatively easy to access with supplies and additional prisoners. On the 14th of March 1659, a Commonwealth Minute book recorded that priests were to be given an allowance of sixpence per day for their travel to Galway, presumably en route to either continental Europe or the island prisons. Intriguingly, both Neary and Corish seemed to believe that the incarceration on Boffin was a temporary measure until the prisoners could be sent to Barbados. But the dates do not actually bear this out, as the Barbados project was abandoned before the first orders were issued to transport the priests to Boffin and Arran. So, uh, who were these priests who spent between three and five years as prisoners on the islands? There are differing accounts as to the number of prisoners held on the two islands, and it is difficult to make an accurate assessment. A contemporary report, reportedly written by Geoffrey Lynch Fitzdominic of Galway City in 1661, claimed that around 50 priests were sent to Arran and Boffin, where they were almost starved, being allowed but two pence per diem, and that last not paid. And interesting to note there that Lynch recorded the allowance paid to the priests as two pence per day compared to the six pence that had been ordered from Dublin. And as the wage of a general foot soldier at the time was no more than eight or nine pence per day, the payment of the lower figure certainly seems like the more probable one. Using 20th century terminology, Benignus Millet wrote in 1964 that concentration camps were set up on the islands of Arran and Boffin, and we find many Franciscans languishing in them during the last years of the Puritan regime. Most of the extant contemporary resources that deal with actual names and lists of prisoner priests come from Franciscan sources, and so it is to be expected that there would be a greater concentration on the fate of the members of that order. And I'm very conscious here of a note of caution issued by PJ Cordish that I came across in the very early days of my research, where he warned against overestimating the importance of the role of the religious orders based on the surviving sources, as particularly the Franciscans and Jesuits were always excellent record keepers and always likely to be overrepresented in the primary literature. But if my earlier theory is accepted that the imprisoned priests who remained in Ireland and were eventually incarcerated in Boffin and Arran were, to a large extent, those who did not have the financial means or family connections to remove themselves to continental Europe, then it is also probable that a majority of these prisoners were indeed Franciscans, whose numbers were more highly concentrated in the poorer and more Gaelic parts of the country. 
The first list of 29 names appears in the Liber Loveniensis, originally dated 1653, but that date later corrected to 1658. And it is unclear how many of these clerics were in Boffin, how many in Inishmore, and how many still being held in Galway Jail. A later list of 19 more was added, with some duplication of the earlier names, including one Franciscan, Francis Stafford, who I mentioned earlier, who was still in jail in Wexford in June of 1659. Millet believed that this second list was exclusively Franciscans and was probably compiled at a later date, supplied by a Father Mark Brown, who lived until 1677. Therefore, it is not possible to date that second list any more accurately than to say that it referred to the period after June 1659. So to take a a snapshot, really, of some of those for whom we have details that are reasonably reliable. And the first one is James Fallon, who was vicar apostolic of Aconry, a native of Galway, had evaded capture when that city was taken by the Cromwellians and lived for two years in a hut covered with leaves and osiers in the mountains of Connemara until his capture in 1654. He was later imprisoned for a time in Boffin and then Arran, and on his release in 1662, he died from the hardships he had endured. Gerald Davock was a Dominican friar who had studied in Spain, had been a lector of philosophy and a master of studies at Athen Rye, and according to John O'Hain, was captured and sent to Boffin. The Franciscan Anthony Gagan, or Mac Gagan, was Bishop of Clonmacnoise from 1647 to 1657 and was then appointed to Meath. Despite his imprisonment on Boffin or Arran, he did not resign his position, and Grinnell describes him as the only active bishop living in Ireland from the time of his release until his death in 1664. Thomas McKiernan, a former provincial of the Franciscan Order, was arrested in November 1658 in County Cavan, along with three other Franciscans, Terence O'Gowan, Hugh McKeown, and Terence Fitzsimons, and one Owen O'Reilly who may have been a Dominican. All five are included in the Liber lists, but Millet believed that while the latter three probably were sent to Boffin, McKernan and O'Gowan remained in Galway jail. McKernan managed to smuggle a letter to the Internuncio in Flanders out of Galway on the 18th of June 1659, in which he said there were about 18 other friars in captivity, being held in various prisons and in great poverty and distress, in fact in utter destitution. They were much afflicted and were exhausted by hunger. Hugh McKeown, who had earlier taught humanities at the Franciscan College in Wexford, reportedly died as a result of the ill-treatment he received in prison. Another former Franciscan principal, Brian, also known as Bernard Connie, was also captured in Ulster and was certainly in Boffin in 1662, when he was the only priest not to leave the island at the time of the general release. The Commonwealth Records noted that Nicholas Scheel, had petitioned for a respite of his transportation for six months while he endeavoured to raise the funds to take himself to France, but was evidently unsuccessful, as he is listed among the prisoners. Similarly, the Franciscan James Stewart, captured in February 1655, was ordered to be sent to Barbados, but he was in Boffin, Inishmore or Galway in 1659, when he appears on the later list. Jasper, or Bonaventure Font, had been guardian of the Franciscan Friary in Rosserily in 1639, and I suppose somewhat ironically of Inishmore in 1646. The Dominican Felix O'Connor reported to Louvain in August 1658 that there were two of the order's priests on Boffin, presumably the aforementioned Gerald Davock and also John Dillon. While we know very little about the conditions endured by the priests who were exiled on the islands, it is significant that Francis Stafford, along with two other priests, Thomas Hoare and Thomas Hanton, 
who were imprisoned, as I mentioned earlier, in Wexford in June 1659, petitioned that their sending to Boffin and Aaron may be dispensed with by reason of, reason of age and other infirmities. Hoare had been captured along with the Cistercian abbot of Tintern, Lawrence Fitzharris, in 1656, while Hanton had also been arrested in 1656 and had sought leave to transport himself to France in that year. In all probability, these were the three priests referred to in a report of the High Sheriff of Wexford in May 1658, which stated that their continuance there with others of that function do much hurt by discouragement to the Irish from repairing to the public worship and perverts diverse that would otherwise take the oath of abjuration. While Fitzharris was granted permission to leave the country earlier, the other two priests had remained in captivity for a further three years. But unfortunately, nothing is known of their fate subsequent to their appeal, because while Francis Stafford's name is included in the list of island prisoners, the names of Hoare and Hampton do not appear. The exiled Archbishop of Tuam, John de Burgo, wrote from Nantes in September 1658 that the priests captured in Ireland were no longer put to death, but transported to the island of Inishbofin in the Diocese of Tuam, where they were compelled to subsist on herbs and water. Another cleric, also writing from Nantes in October 1659, claimed that the Puritans had opted for perpetual imprisonment over death for the priests, partly because of the incredible joy with which the priests face martyrdom. Hence, out of 52 priests held in custody, 36 were lately sent to the islands of Inishbofin and Arran, where there are heretical garrisons and where they are not even allowed to administer to each other the last rites of the religion. The Commonwealth Records of August 1659 ordered that all priests were to be transported from Boffin and Arran to France. But this evidently did not happen because in May 1662, a discalced Carmelite, Father Agapitus, wrote to Propaganda Fide, asking Rome to send some financial aid to the priests imprisoned on Boffin and elsewhere in Ireland and to endeavour to get the Christian princes to intercede on their behalf with the English king. The arrival of the Duke of Ormond in Ireland in late July of 1662 saw the liberation of all priests and religious, and according to Millet, this was a gesture to the Catholic Queen Henrietta Marie, mother of the new king. The evidence is very sparse on the lives of these clergy once they were freed. We have already heard of the early death of James Fallon, vicar apostolic of Aconry, following his release. But the Dominican Gerald Davock, also mentioned earlier, lived a pious and religious life for a long time after his liberation and laboriously cultivated the vineyard of the Lord by word and example until his death in 1686. The Franciscan chapters held in 1658 and 1651 nominated several imprisoned priests to positions in the order despite their incarceration, including the aforementioned Terence O'Gown, who was appointed definitor of Cavan Friary. Thomas Burke then became guardian of Kilnahan Friary after his release. Connor Scanlon was appointed guardian of Buttevant. Francis Horne was in Nina in 1669. And Pike Donovan was guardian of Inishirkin in the same year. Father Brian Connie, who I mentioned earlier as being the only priest not to leave Boffin at the time of the general release, though it is unclear whether this was by choice or compulsion. And John O'Hain related that he died a happy death there for the glory of God. Around the waist of this heroic man, there was found after death a leathern cincture studded with sharp and piercing nails. And his death is believed to have taken place in 1663. 
This is just a final list of the other priests who appear on the lists from the Liber Loveniensis, but about whom, unfortunately, I haven't been able to uh, discover any other information. So while the number of priests imprisoned on Boffin and in Ishmore during these years was relatively small, I believe that the de- decision of the Commonwealth Government to incarcerate them in this manner was a significant indicator of their serious intent to rid Ireland of its Catholic clergy at this time, and I hope that further research on the period will lead to a greater understanding of the policies and philosophies that underlay such resolutions. Thank you very much.